0: The doctor is in.
1: The doctor is in, but he's uh, not eating breakfast, apparently. Hey, big controversies on the diet front, Dr. Bittar. People that don't eat breakfast, are they going to die sooner? Are they going to live longer? Is it an association? It's a correlation. There's our causation there. We were marketed into breakfast by breakfast cereal companies in our lifetime, Dr. Bittar.
2: Yeah, you know, this is something that is a very... Uh, hot topic when it comes to health, wellness, uh, exercise, natural bodybuilding, athletic performance, all these you know, mental functioning, how how important it is to have this breakfast in the morning. And it's hard to eat in the morning for some people. I personally am not a person that feels hungry in the morning. And, um, you know, I do do a protein shake. Um, usually my, my, my youngest, actually both my sons, you know, they're, they're just not big breakfast eaters. Now, sometimes we'll have breakfast, you know, at night. You know, we we want to have an omelet or, you know. Yeah, breakfast food
1: for dinner is great. I think it's awesome. Yeah. But I I will tell you in my own history, and, you know, we've talked about that. I wasn't the healthiest kid. I was the canary in the coal mine. I, I had to have food when I got up. Man, I was so hungry. I was famished, right? And, of course, what would I go for? The super sugar frosted flakes or the fruit loops. I mean, super high carbs, additives, coloring, you name it, all of that in there. And it took me a while when I switched at 24 and I learned about the liver and organic food and detoxification. It still took me a while to where I could could go any extended period of time without eating. I'd always have to snack a little bit here, a little bit there. You know, and I think what I learned later, of course, I was hypoglycemic, and that is so common today that, you know, people can't go till now I can go to two or three in the afternoon and, and then, oh, well, if I can have my first meal of the day. It's not like I plan it, but I'm fine.
2: Yeah, and that's one of the things that, um, you know, your your situation obviously is different if you're waking up and you're feeling that hunger, then certainly if a person's feeling hunger, then they should consume. But I think this article was very interesting in that they were saying that for pe- some people that feel hungry, then they should be consuming a breakfast, a uh, big mm. breakfast, because your body has been in starvation mode. Uh, if you're insulin sensitive or, high, or insulin resistant, I should say, right. uh, or you have a... A dichotomy in your insulin levels, then you might have a, a feeling of being more hungry um, upon waking, but other people don't. And so the point is we've been indoctrinated into thinking this whole thought process that if you don't have breakfast, the most important meal of the day, then you're going to uh, not be giving your body fuel. There've been studies that I've actually even quoted that talked about uh, increase in 400 percent of fat loss when you compare people that had breakfast versus people that didn't have breakfast. Um, just by consuming breakfast in the morning, they had a four times higher level of fat loss. Now, I don't know if that study was legitimate, or, or maybe this article isn't legitimate because it's overzealous in its analysis of some of the research, but we do know that you can skin a cat many different ways, and you can analyze something or analyze it in a ma- in a manner mm-hmm. that's not uh, going to give you the same results as analyzing in a different way, meaning that whatever you're looking for, you can... Support whatever mm-hmm. your argument is, depending on how you argue, uh, how, how you make that argument.
1: Right. Hey, so, I was just thinking, so Dr. Batar, I mean, in my history, when I was hungry, I would eat. I'd have to. Now, of course, hypoglycemia, I've argued, is a deficiency in, in minerals, chromium in particular, but the, the, the transition is because I got healthier. I believe this is my body saying, well, you're not hungry, so don't eat, right? I'm not going to force it because I, I was trained as a child that I had to eat. You know, if Super Don wakes up and he's hungry, he should eat, right? It's not that you should starve yourself on purpose.
2: Exactly, and I think that's the whole point of this particular author, was that uh, we might have been brainwashed into thinking a certain way, and I think your point about being brainwashed by cereal companies into having the big breakfast in the morning, um, certainly having a big breakfast in the morning with uh, sugar-laden food is not the answer regardless of which which uh, side <laughs> of the argument you believe, whether breakfast is important or isn't as important. Whatever you eat, whether it's first thing in the morning or not eating first thing in the morning, the key is you don't want to have sugar-laden food. So that goes without saying. But the point is, do we need to eat every uh, morning when we get up as early as we are have been taught that we need to? And mm-hmm. this modified uh, um, fasting that you've probably, you know, we talked, we've talked we talked about on the show before about the importance of fasting, but there's a modified yeah. fasting program now where they talk about certain people are actually fasting for 16, 18 hours, and then they eat for only a six-hour period, and then they fast. And especially when you're dealing with the issues of pancreatic insufficiency, like with cancer patients, and sometimes it's difficult for them to get enough food in because they they've got to get obviously enough protein in the diet, which is one big problem. But another big problem is that they have to take these digestive enzymes, these pancreatic enzymes, the fibrolytic enzymes, the oncolytic enzymes, the proteolytic enzymes, etc., etc. They have to take them at certain times when their stomach is empty. That doesn't mean five minutes before eating. That means one hour uh, before eating or two hours after eating. So that's a three-hour gap when you're not going to be eating. And, and so that becomes sometimes cumbersome. Um, and the point is that if a person is having to adjust their... Dietary intake based upon the the fact that hey breakfast is an important meal and they can't get their uh, certain components into their body because they have to do it on an empty stomach. It makes it really really difficult. I think that the stress that a person has thinking oh I got to eat I got to <laughs> eat and I used to force my kids you know that hey, you got to have a big breakfast and I remember Rahan sometimes actually twice he actually vomited and <laughs> his
1: I body was telling you ah uh-uh, daddy break. I don't need it
2: yeah. And he, I mean, now, of course, I don't push him at all, but he just doesn't eat breakfast. He goes to school, and then he has a lunch.
1: Yep. And he's got a and good appetite, fine.
2: but he just doesn't have breakfast, yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. Of course, you know, we're we, we are looking at a healthy normal versus uh, uh, an unhealthy normal, right? I grew up as an right. the unhealthy normal of Americans, the Western world. We're all chronically ill, including kids. And so we don't know right. what our bodies really need until we get them to that state, and then they can listen, and then they can, they they know more about their bodies than the doctors that are you know set to treat them in many cases.
2: Well, that's very true, and, and see, I've been a big proponent proponent of uh, recommending that a person should eat five times a day, six times a day, uh, to increase their metabolism. I think that is an important aspect. When I used to, when I was in the army, when I was uh, right out of medical school after internship, when I was in the army, active duty in Korea. Um, all you know, we were the northward most deployed doctors, and at that time it was the most volatile area in the world. So all we had to do was lift weights, eat, and wait for the sirens to go off, and, and hope that it was an alert, just a drill, and it wasn't the real thing type of thing.
1: That sounds and, like super Don's you know, daily grind.
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Down <laughs> the daily but see, one of the things that during that time in my life, um, and I started competing in natural bodybuilding, uh, I've mm-hmm. never, well, you know how straight I am. I've never even drank alcohol, smoked cigarettes, so, you know, I'm not going to do any kind of steroids or any of that kind of crap. But um, it was very hard to get, when, uh, the bigger the, the, the bigger and leaner I got, the more requirements for for food I had. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, I mean, I was trying to go for uh, double the basal metabolic rate of Caloric input to to gain size, and it is hard to eat 5,000 calories in a day. I'm telling you, it's it's almost impossible. I would sit there and eat, and i have to take a break from eating and eat, and I was I was getting leaner and leaner, but I was eating I like, you know every two and a half to three hours, and for a while after that, my body was very attuned to burning fat, and so I and so I needed to have. So you fat, had trained it, yeah. In. Yeah, my my body really needed it. But here's the other thing: if you look at it from a paleolithic standpoint, it's the complete opposite because we were hunters and gatherers, and so we were used to being, as, as, a, as, a, as a race, or as a species, I should say, mm-hmm. we were used to going through modified periods of starvation. Feast and like famine. Exercise, you know, going for the jog versus the sprint. We're designed to sprint, catch our food, or, or hunt our food, and then go through a period of laxity. So I think that a lot of things that we've been taught may not necessarily be true. I do believe that having food every two, three hours does increase your metabolism, but I don't think that that's necessary unless you're trying to gain that weight. You may not need that um, that right. level of intake. You may do better with you know going twelve hours without eating. I I seem to do better. I seem to I truly now Robert feel mm-hmm. better when
1: I don't eat. I love I, I'm i with you there. I, I I'm with stuff. you there, Doctor Bittar. I, I if I look back at the way it used to be where I was a slave to the snack, I could, I had to have it right. I'd be shaking or, or you know very weak, and it you know. To, to now, to not be ruled by that, I like that. I like being able to go for hours and hours and hours. I'm like, I'm not worried about where my next meal is. Like, I used to be concerned when I travel because you know how clean I eat. Oh, my gosh, what yeah. if I do Now I'm like, it's okay, I can wait. Uh, but, you know, I, I feel more you know, empowered I that you, way.
2: I would put you at an extremist, the way you eat.
1: Yeah, I'm an extremist. But, Super Don, are you happy now?
2: You, here's the thing. Here's the, no, this is what I'm finding, though. <laughs> I would put you at an extremist, and I've known you for a long time. I would put you an extremist but I'm also finding that I, my resilience and my tolerance of foods mm-hmm. is is changing. I sure. can't tolerate the same amount of food the same types of foods that I could tolerate before. Mm-hmm. And I think what's happening is you you know you're living really clean and to be to be able to live clean sometimes you have to go to that extreme level. Like I would be considered an extremist in many things that I do. Probably in, in, in the food intake part, I wasn't really as, as extreme, except for when I was, you know, I, I went five years without eating any red meat, which mm-hmm. isn't good, by the way. I mean, that, that was when I was bodybuilding. Of course, I went five years also without eating a Kit Kat bar, which I haven't had a <laughs> Kit Kat bar in years, but at that time, it was, a, you know, it was a staple of my diet.
1: By the way, um, how, how do you skin a Kit Kat bar?
2: Um, I think you just eat it. I don't <laughs> okay. think you Okay, right, you
1: don't have to skin it. Okay, never mind. I didn't know, but, about you know
2: that. But the thing that, is. I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: No, go ahead. Go ahead.
2: I I was just saying that I think that one issue is that it's not necessarily the various habits that we get into or that we think are better. Each person has biological individuality and a genetic predisposition for the body's metabolism to be in a certain way, and so we have to find what our ideal is. But the key part is that when it comes to nutritional intake, it is something that one needs to almost become extreme because uh, just before this, just before we got on the radio show, Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a call from a friend of mine, and he was telling me that there was an offer from Bayer Corporation to buy a Monsanto for sixty-two billion dollars. Did you hear? Yeah, about that's that?
1: true. Yeah, Bayer wants to buy one of the uh, demon spawn of IG Farben Nazi Germany wants to buy another demonic enterprise. How surprising! Well,
2: see, yeah, that's to, to Monsanto. Though I don't know where they come from, but when I asked Carl, I said, "What's the implications?" And he goes, "Nazi Germany all over again."
1: Yeah, so, you got it. Hey, great discussion today as we kick off advanced medicine. Remember, if you ever miss a program, easiest way, pick up hundreds of hours of Dr. Batar and I chatting on this stuff and more. Go to medicalrewind.com. Links are up in the show notes at Robertscottbell.com, right here through our syndicator GCN, Talk Network, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Podcast, Epic Times, as well as UK Health Radio and the SoundCloud out there. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to the Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Ah! Making sense out of medical propaganda. Here's
1: Robert. All right, advanced medicine continues here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Two hours a day, six days a week, our special hour with Dr. Rashid Batar. Right now, continuing. Talking about diet and me being an extremist, and, you know, I, what, I always threw it in your face, didn't I? It's like, come on, man, eat. What are you eating? I, no, I, I don't do that. I try to live by example, but I saw the writing on the wall because my own body told me, man, you're in trouble. And when I when I went clean, I felt better, I gained strength, I continued. And so I couldn't argue with those results, which is why I do what I do.
2: Yeah, well, that's why I think it's so important, to, you know, not looking at these type of stories with bear possibly buying monsanto and monsanto doing the amazingly criminal and evil things that they've been doing that doesn't sound like me saying ima- criminal and evil <laughs> in the same context but that's really what it comes down to mm-hmm. is they're committing um... a mass genocide against mankind and really it leaves no other options for us because now your extreme nature of intake what i should consider extreme maybe ten years ago when I first met you, or actually I've, I met you, I've known you a lot longer than that, 16 years, but, mm-hmm. you know, I think that, I used to think that maybe you were too extreme, but now I realize yeah. in the last few years, if a person isn't eating the way you are, what I consider extreme then, they're not sustainable, because what's happening to our food sources is being manipulated to such an extent that we are practically, if in fact, it's more than practical, it is practical, I mean, It's actually being poisoned, not practically poisoned. We're actually being poisoned, and so that extreme component, especially with things like if bear buys, regardless of the bear buys Monsanto or not, it's happening, and we have to take responsibility and start growing our own foods. And I don't know how the human race, the six and a half, seven billion people on the planet, are going to be able to grow their own foods. And in fact, you and I both know the vast majority won't ever do that. But right. for at least our listeners and people that really want to get involved with this, even if you're sitting on top of a skyscraper in New York and that's where you live, you know, you can grow fruits and vegetables with uh, hydroponics. And you can find other ways uh of of being self sustainable. And it's not like self sustainable from the uh God forbid there's a there's a war or a natural disaster and now we have to be self sustainable off the grid. That's not what I'm talking about, even though that probably would be good too. I'm talking about self-sustainable, meaning that you eat in a sustainable manner, that you even like the whole food type things and uh, mm-hmm. uh, those type of sorts, earth fairs. The new FDA law that I sent uh, Don and you an email that the new FDA law is now requiring for the amount of natural sugars to be added, which is actually yeah. going to be a good requirement because now when people find out uh, the amount of sugars that are added to so-called healthy foods at the whole food type stores, We didn't even realize how much additional sugar was being added to some of these foods. So you really can't, even you go to the healthy places to eat, you really still don't know what's going on.
1: Well, yeah, and that's the point. And, you know, we have different levels of resiliency. We've talked about that. We're all, you know, we have biochemical uniqueness, functional uniqueness. But we are seeing, I perceive it to be a generational shift toward a decline because of the food our parents ate, then the grandparents ate, and when it was clean, it was one thing. And as it's degraded, we're seeing weaker and weaker children. Of course, they're being assaulted not only with food, but as we've talked about, vaccines from birth, uh, you know, and, and antibiotics. I had a caller last hour just devastated. I don't know how the, this little three-year-old girl is alive with as many antibiotics as they threw at her, and she's trying to recover her. And so then they talk about the MTHR gene mutation. They can't uh, methylate. I mean, it's an absolute mess, and it's not accidental. This isn't like a, a, a genetic epidemic, because there's no such thing as that. We're degrading ourselves.
2: Yeah, this is this is a exact point. And the, degre- the degradation that we're creating for ourselves is going to be... Um, Devastating for the human race because, it's, as you said, it's going to have implications. Next generation, the next generation again. When you start looking at things like the Pottinger uh, cat study, for example, mm-hmm. what did it take three three generations for the change in the dietary intake when they started cooking the meat and uh, pasteurizing the milk? Was it three generations or four generations? Yeah, I think I it was. It that, was
1: right in there. I, of course, we're going to get yelled at by Western pricers no matter what we say because it <laughs> be, it'll be three point two generations. Well, that's right? okay. Yeah, yeah.
2: Until they create their own radio show, they don't have to worry about it. But the point is that it was about three or four generations of pasteurizing milk, cooking meat, and then the cats consuming it. By the fourth generation, they started exhibiting the same types of behavior that humans exhibit uh, currently with antisocial, depression, uh, chronic diseases, cancer, heart disease, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and these cats... So it all came down to the way the people, the, the cats were being fed, the pasteurization, no. homogenization, and of course the uh, cooking of the food, the, the meat. The
1: bastardization of the food supply, taking it and corrupting it and then expecting that it won't corrupt our bodies that are sustained by it or degraded by it. All right, this is advanced medicine. That's what we do here. We got lots more healing to go, including the dormant butt syndrome resolved after the break.
0: In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. The information is so good, it requires no expiration date. The Robert Scott Bell Show.
1: I'm hungry now, all this talk of food, although not the Monsanto variety. But uh, Dr. Batar is here, Super Don making it sound good. We got Daniel on the board. If you'd like to call in, you can do that. Uh, do we have more food discussion to go, Dr. Batar? I just don't want to rush through it. it you know, There's always some good, good things we talk about here.
2: Well, we've got, we've got a lot of good stories to talk about. I guess that sugar story comes in um, to play with the FDA. But I just wanted to my last point was just because it's organic, because mm-hmm. it's labeled as organic, that doesn't mean it's good food. They've already found so many things uh, genetically modified food that whole food things that were supposed to be organic, but you know, what is the quality right. of that organic food? We, we know that in California, you can actually fertilize foods with organic human manure and then label it as organic. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of things, you, unless you're growing it yourself or you're raising it yourself, you really don't know it's the bottom line. I mean, you, the yeah. marketers can change things around. We know that what the FDA did with the thimerosal, you know, they started labeling vaccines as thimerosal free. But they still were using thimerosal in the manufacturing process, but because they weren't adding it to the final vial, they didn't have to disclose it. So there's all these little caveats and little ways of circumventing the the laws and the regulations that marketers would get around, so that they can still utilize the labeling to to promote their material, promote right. their food stuff as being healthier, but it's not. And without being an extremist like you and growing your own food, and you know, I mean, I guess in some ways people would say I'm an extremist because you know we have our own. Milking cows, I told you about Abraham. Sure, yeah. No, I mean, dairy mean,
1: yeah, you've done some do. things I haven't even conceived of doing. So, I mean, I, it, it isn't like, uh, you know, it, it, if we look at everybody's going to, oh, well, some people can do this better than others. There's always been that, that diversity, if you will, in a community. Everybody can't do everything. But that's also, I, I urge folks to kind of find a local farmer or a local farming community. Like we met an organic farmer in town here near us who all he's doing is producing fruit-bearing trees or food-bearing uh, 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 plants right, not about ornamentals because there 's a lot of ornamentals being so he said, no i 'm interested in, in helping people to develop food for us, and we have long growing seasons, so we can do that and I think you get to know folks like that, you can learn from them they 're excited to teach you, you get close to the farmer, you know that they 're meeting or exceeding organic standards, whether they 're certified or not, because we have to ver- we have to be the, the eyes that verify this
2: yeah you 're absolutely right that 's the key. It, you You look at farmers that grow cattle that have cattle that raise cattle, and then they sell them. but do you notice that they will always have one or two cows separate from the rest of the herd and those are the cows that they process themselves. I have a patient of mine, uh child that I've been treating for autism the the wife is the one who's you know all involved with her child's care, but uh the father supplies beef for McDonald's, and they're in the in, they live in North Dakota, massive operation. But he doesn't think it's important. The wife has always said it's important. Now the husband's having some problems, and he's now starting to notice the issues. They always have one cow separate, one or two cows separate for their own meals. They, they won't eat the regular meat that they're selling to McDonald's because they're you know, fattening them up with the normal grains and, and the right. post-quarters and antibiotics and you know steroids and blah, blah, blah. But for themselves, they have... A cow that's not given any of that stuff, and that's what they eat. So find out a farmer that raises cattle and ask him, you know, I'd like to buy half of of, uh, your cow, the one that you process for yourself.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah, and I know friends that do that, and so it's not like we're saying something that nobody is doing. For those of you who are listening or new to the show, this is something, if you start talking amongst some of your friends that are into health and healing and things that are more natural, you're likely going to find people that have a food share or cooperative shares or even, you know, they purchase parts of, you know, animals that are processed by families that raise them in a way that, you know, it was has been done for hundreds or if not more years. So this is something that is practical. In fact, it's the only thing that's practical. Because if we're relying on a, fa- a central bureaucracy to correct all of this stuff, Listen, Monsanto's already bought them out. They're toast. They're history. It's time to bring it back home, and that's the message here.
2: Yeah, that's, that's definitely the message, and I'll tell you, it, it makes a big difference. I, I was just telling you off there, Robert, and I'll just mention now about Abraham was one of our dairy bulls. The quality of the meat, I mean, he was born on this property. He uh, you know, was fed organic feed that we got from Virginia, uh, non gmo Feed that we got from Virginia, because in North Carolina there was no place for us to purchase non-GMO feed. Yeah. He lived off grass his entire life, except for the grain supplementation, which was really meant for the the cows that we were milking because they have an increased uh, requirement of uh, caloric requirements. But of course, he'd get in there, and he just became obnoxious and he was destroying fences and this and that. And dairy bulls are known to be very aggressive. Then he started going after some of my exotics, so we had to, you know, I was going to get rid of him, but you know, we were going to butcher him. He was two years old. It's the best meat I've ever had. The best meat, and lean and good, and you can tell the difference of the meat. In fact, I tried to. I was messing with my kids, and I said, "Hey, how's Abraham taste?" And I thought they, they would freak out. Oh, Daddy, tastes delicious! And there's China. Can I have seconds. <laughs>
1: so, and they know what goes on here. I mean, this is the thing. These these animals, uh, uh, you know, as part of that so-called circle of life, I suppose. Now, there's yep. another story here related to, to GI health. I believe it is. And it says a gastric bypass, which is, you know, to me, an atrocious surgery. But I understand why they do it because modern medical doctors are not trained in the things we know. And so they end up their last uh, ditch effort because the antibiotics didn't work. The prednisone didn't work. Ultimately, they can't give it to them anymore. It'll kill them. They start cutting out parts of your intestines. Now they're saying it's increasing the use of psychiatric drugs after surgery. Is it because people are depressed because they had the surgery or is it because of the gut brain connection?
2: Well, you know, this is an interesting point. And, Robert, let's let's explore this. This is very – this whole story uh, indicates – it kind of comes back to some of the things we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me, when you read that story, what's the first thing that jumps out at you?
1: Um, they mentioned something in Denmark. Something's rotten in Denmark. <laughs>
2: Well, that too. Um, that's not what I was talking about.
1: But What else jumps out at you? Well, the, the the use of drugs to treat diabetes are declining after weight loss surgery. But I'm like going. That's that's only like the first positive spin that they want to do. But when they go immediately to the neurological psychiatric drug rise rises sharply. Of course, I understand the gut brain connection. So I don't know what's jumping out for. I may come in with this with preconceived notions, perhaps.
2: Well, I'm thinking about this. What what is the most prescribed drug in the United States? Class class of drugs.
1: Well, the the uh, SSRIs.
2: Exactly the antidepressants, right? Yeah, yeah. And and now you've got what's the what's the one pandemic issue in in North America? Probably most Western societies, but in North America especially, obesity.
1: Yeah.
2: Right. So, mm-hmm. do you think that there's a correlation here?
1: Could there be a connection? Again, it could be a moment of "duh," but but people are just now getting getting connected to the fact that if they alter their gut physically, right, the form, it impacts the the expression, their, the way they experience life. As people are having these so-called neuropsychiatric disorders post-operative, in this case.
2: Well, they say that a lot of people when they overeat. Let's let's make the assumption that a person's overeating. That's why they they became obese, and that's why they a gastric bypass. Not that that's. You know probably its only case maybe half the time um, when you start looking at it it really comes down to a simple equation what goes in has to come out meaning whatever you put into your body is going to be expended as fuel and if you don't expend as fuel it's going to be stored as fat well in some cases you've got other issues like maybe diabetes you've got thyroid issues they can be gut issues whatever but generally speaking that's the formula whatever if you if you expend more energy than you take in um, you're not going to have a problem with obesity if you don't expend as much energy as you take in that excess energy gets stored as fat and that's how, that's basically the the meat and potatoes of, you know, the equation that's really what it comes down to so now if we look at people that are overeating in that class uh, of group or that subpopulation if you will most people when they overeat, they're over, it's have you ever heard of that term? Was it comfort food or, or
1: comfort food? Eating yeah, for comfort sure. or yeah, well or Yeah, you, you, you feel you feel like an emotional need to eat and you're satiated emotionally yeah. by eating physically.
2: Right. And of course I've never experienced that before. You know, I've never had the need to I'm being facetious because <laughs> I was that's, I mean, I think I am a emotional leader. And yes. so we start looking at this aspect and we start not talking about the the depression and the and the neurological implications and the emotional psychological implications. So the way we eat is directly correlated with with how we're feeling, and that's already been shown in studies. We've already talked about this now. They're talking about they do gastric bypass, and these people end up having side effects neurologically mm-hmm. and psychologically. Well, It's a moment of duh. That's exactly yeah. what I think it is.
1: Well, gut-brain connection again, and that's, I think, the point of this surgery – uh, it's absurd in so many ways because it's, it's an admission, as we know, surgery is an admission of failure in so many ways that nothing else they did to, to address the problem really fixed it. Of course, they didn't, no one, none of these people had antibiotic deficiencies, prednisone deficiencies, etc. cetera. Uh, but they did have problems with food choice. That is, they chose the wrong food. They didn't know because they've been marketed breakfast cereals like I had. Now they're all GMO loaded with refined carbohydrates, kicking in the obesity, kicking in the diabetes, etc., by diminishing minerals, the heavy metals, all of that. And we see the connection here so clearly that the path out is also clear, but we don't want people to have to wait till after they've had their GI systems corrupted in this way.
2: Yeah, one rule that I think every human being should really adhere to, and that is, as a, as a surgeon, our slogan was, when in doubt, cut it out. And that is absolutely what people need to remember, that that is how a surgeon thinks, and that is not the way you need to live. Because once you've taken it out, you know, when in doubt, cut it out. But once it's cut out, you can't put it back in. So really when it comes to physical manipulation of the body by by excising, ligating, dividing, and then, you know, disposing of a certain part of your body, be have a very high index of suspicion and be very vigilant. Protect the organs that you have. Don't let people Mm -hmm. take things out. Unless you really, 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 really know the implications of it. And unfortunately, most of us don't. Even even the ones of us that are cutting the things out don't know the implications.
1: Right, right. You know, we've talked about the gallbladder removals and, you know, your, yep. your observation when the light bulb went, woo, okay, wait a second. We are taking out the in gallbladder the
2: himself, that exactly. yeah,
1: has 10% function and making it zero instead of saying, how can we restore to 20, 30, 40, 50, all the way to 100? And of course, that's not considered. Um, that's not the profit, uh, you know, way in terms of surgery. If you're a surgeon, you got to do surgery, or else you don't get paid. So we know that there's economic incentive, but uh, so much of modern medicine has been focused that way, so that the doctors no longer ask the important questions. Well, why am I doing this? And if it's just for a paycheck, that's a pretty miserable existence. Find your mission, your Robert, passion in life.
2: Robert, I'm surprised you remembered that story. But that's a good memory. I think we have talked about it twice. Thank okay. You okay.
1: Well, we, we are going to get to the dormant butt syndrome. What is it? Does Super Don have that, or is he overcome it? We're going to find out after the break <laughs> on the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Racha Bittar, Advanced Medicine. Remember, medicalrewind.com as well.
0: The revolution will be broadcast. The Robert Scott Bell Show. <laughs> Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show.
1: Last week, out of all the great concern, caring, and love that he has, Doctor Batard called out Super Don on uh, puffing on some uh, those what do they call them? Cancer sticks, right? Cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And um, we were we thought we were going to talk about bruised butt syndrome because you know you thought you'd spanked him on the issue, but uh, Super Don's tough. And he came back and said, "You know, you were probably suffering from dormant butt syndrome." I'm like, what? What is that related to increase the risk of pain? And now, because Super Don started going working out again, we can't say he's got a dormant butt anymore. <laughs> Come on, Super D. Back. You it know, up. you listen. What, you spend what? so much
0: time on mm. this show, yeah, coming up what? with one-liners and questions that have something <laughs> to do with my butt. If it's not coffee enemas, now it's dormant butt syndrome. Thank you. You might well, say so. What, it, what is, is the fascination butt. with my butt? I don't understand.
1: We we're just concerned about you. That's all. You're concerned about my butt. You're just concerned okay. about
0: the butt,
1: man. Well, you know, <laughs> without your butt, you got nothing to sit on. You can't help us do the show if you'd be standing 24 well, seven. I can we covered stand, those stories: right? standing, like sitting, standing's anyway. bad, sitting's bad. Who knows? But dormant butt syndrome. This is for this real. Is a weird, you found real this? Thing.
2: Yeah. yeah. No, this is real. I've I've never heard it being called dormant butt syndrome, but when I read the description, I thought first of all it was a joke. Then as I read it, I was like, "This isn't a joke. This is real." And then I realized that's why they're calling it dormant butt syndrome because the uh, the nerves you actually feel like it's a numbness, and sometimes when you walk, you can feel this little numb in your hip or in your in in your in that area, the gluteal area. Um, but it's almost like a like a leg drop type thing, but it is a real thing, and it actually happens. It happened to me from. Uh, sleeping in a fetal position, which I still sleep in the same position, but mine was alleviated by simply putting uh, a pillow between my knees or just making sure that the one leg is not, you know, draped down lower. That's all it was. But it is a real thing. And I've had other people talk about it. I think it also promotes other types of um, functional or dysfunctional type of problems, such as um, it can contribute to
0: sciatica and that type of stuff.
1: By the way, they have an, uh, an acronym for it. It's DBS, dormant butt syndrome. DBS. Do you, you have DBS? know
0: something has 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 has, has arrived, arrived and become yeah. official when they give it an acronym?
1: And right. DBS. Yep. Do you have DBS? If you're going to the gym and you have DBS, uh, will people you know kind of walk a distance around you, Super Don? I have DBS. Yeah. Don't go over there. He's got DBS. Well, it actually they talk <laughs> about having tight hip flexors and weak gluteal muscles, so there's an imbalance there. You know I know doctors That's of chiropractic and osteopaths who really work with the structure can definitely detect it and work with it and say, you know these are some exercises to strengthen it. You should be doing some level of squats and lunges
2: exactly. Lunges are the lunges are very, very critical to helping alleviate this and and uh, increasing the pelvic or the pelvic output, the uh, pelvic outlet uh, syndrome will also be contributed by this so by in, increasing the strength of your uh, pelvic floor yes with Certain types of lunges and, and squats, like you're saying, really helps. And you don't have to do it with weight. I mean, just you know, you can do it
1: just with your body weight. Very, right. very effective. So back, what was the what was the uh, midnight showing? They always had uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. They had their exercise, yeah, the pelvic, yeah, yeah. do the pelvic thrust. It'll drive you insane. Let's do the time warp again. So maybe that will be the cure for the DBS.
2: Maybe I, I wouldn't go that far, but
1: maybe. <laughs> Super Don, who did you one, dress one up with? Or as when you went to see the Rocky Horror Picture Show, I
0: didn't. Yeah, I didn't that. go. I don't know if you remember the story about my the first time that I went to one of those. Uh-huh. There's this one part of the show where they the they throw toilet paper because the guy says, "Great Scott!" or something.
1: Scott tissue, you know, so yes, go, like right.
0: Scott toilet paper, and so it was the first time I'd gone to one of these things. Yeah, and I'm like hey everybody's having a great time this is fun oh everybody's acting crazy yeah. and this guy at the front of the theater thought <laughs> oh, it would be no. funny to take a roll of toilet paper yeah. and Wet it with water. Oh no, So here's like this brick. roll of toilet paper. Now instead of just being this <laughs> oh, this no. roll of toilet paper, this thing is like a cannonball, right? Oh no! And he turns around and throws it. Everybody's throwing toilet paper around, and this thing hits me square <laughs> in the eye socket. No, it swells my eyes shut, and I'm like, oh gee, this is lots of fun. Let's do this again.
1: Oh well, that ruined Rocky Horror for you.
0: Horror...
2: Yeah, oh. it was a horror show for him watching the Rocky Horror. Pictures. Yeah, that's for sure. Actually... That's not the way
1: you want to watch it.
2: I actually lived uh, my sophomore year in college. um, I actually lived in an area where the theater was right below us, and it was on every
1: night. Oh, man, you could never get sleep then. I couldn't, no. All right, well, everybody, do the time warp. We're out of time, and we'll be back next week with more advanced medicine. Dr. Rasha Batar. i got some very special uh, broadcasts coming up this week, including more on the NDE issue and some from uh, New York City. So stand by for that and a whole lot more. Dr. Batar, tell them what they need to know before we sign off, please.
2: As always, the power to heal is yours.
1: Yes, it is.